to our second session. Let's stand and sing number 270 in our hymn books. Number 270, Lord, I Need You. Number 270. conference packets, we have a prayer request card. Uh, that's important. 
uh, we share with the Lord what we need and uh, if you take that out on the back side there uh, you can fill that out with a prayer request that you have for uh, your church or your family or whatever it may be uh, if you can drop this in the offering plate tonight I believe tonight is our last chance uh, to do that you drop it in the offering plate and on Friday during our 1:30 session we'll be having a time of prayer uh, with our men's session and our women's session so uh, be sure to do that amen I want to do quickly I want to recognize all the pastors here and uh, I've just got to meet some of you for the first time and uh, probably the other pastors will apologize to you that you had to meet me this week but uh, I'd like for all the pastors uh, if you would stand just for a moment, I want to get you to give me uh, your name, uh, name your church, and where you serve. If your wife's with you, please introduce her as well. But would you stand up, preachers? All the preachers, all the pastors, assistant pastors, missionaries, uh, doormen in the house of God. Amen. Uh, Brother David, would you go first? Brother David, Parnas, uh, Jr., Baptist Church in Amen. Thank you, Brother David. Thanks for coming. Sure appreciate you, Joe my brother. Newman, Capital City Baptist Church. Stand up again, Brother Dave, beside, just for a second. <laughs> I was going to make a comment, but I'm going to be good. I love you, my brother. Go ahead, Brother Dirksen. Jordan Dirksen, and I'm from uh, Fisher Baptist Church in Rubicon. Amen. Sure, sure glad to have Brother Dirksen here. He's been here for, is it 16 months? 16 months now on our city. Thank, thanks so much for coming, Bill Duke. We appreciate you. Thank you for coming. Brother Florin. Brother Florin Tabeka and my wife Lori. Stand up. You make him look better. That's 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 much better. Thank you. I can hide behind. I pastor Harvest International Baptist Church in Raleigh. Amen, Brother Dave. Dave Harness Sr., Breakthrough Baptist Church, Church Park, and my wife Kathy. Thanks, Kathy. You don't have to stand if you don't want to. Uh, I, I, won't, I won't make you do so. Thank you so much. You have to be married to him, so that's hard enough already. Thank you. My brother? Bob Madel, Calgary, Alberta, Northside Baptist, and my wife, Wendy. Amen. It's good to meet you, brother. The first time I met Brother Madel, we've talked on the phone several times, and I'm excited for what God's doing there in Calgary. And thanks for being here. Brother Smith? Josh Smith, Baker Baptist Church, West Portland, B.C. Amen. We, uh, our church supports Brother Smith, doing a great job, man, doing a phenomenal job there, and uh, sure glad you're able to come. Thanks for being with us, Brother Vossi. Vossi, Corner Church, Pastor of Mountain View Baptist Church, Calgary, Alberta. Amen. Thanks, Brother Vossi. My brother, from another mother, Brother Desenek, go ahead. <laughs> And Brother Jacob, quickly, your beautiful wife, but quickly, how many churches have you been responsible in helping start in your in your ministry? Right now, five. Five churches. Amen. And he's going to be 81 coming up. Next year. He's, he's, he, yeah, and, he, and he sti hey, he's still in the saddle. Amen? He's living out exactly what Brother Harness preached. Thank you. Man, I just... Uh, I cast the devil out of that thing. <laughs> Amen. Thank you, Brother Destin. Go ahead, my brother. Uh, Jeff Hallmark, Spruce Lane Baptist, Prince George, British Columbia. My wife, Regina. Amen. Thanks for coming. Appreciate you coming. That's a long way. And uh, Brother Dan. Dan Crumbaugh, uh, pastor of Paul Band Bible Baptist Church at Paul First Nation, West Coast, New Jersey. Sure, he is already standing. 
I was going to say, I, I was, I was going to say the same thing. Miss Sherry is three foot two, and uh, thank you so much. Holloway. Scott Holloway, Pastor Redemption Baptist Church, Cambridge, Saskatchewan. Amen. Amen. Brother Jay. Jason Yellowney, Lakeside Baptist Church, Portland. Amen. Yes, sir. Trevor Stevens, Victory Baptist Church, Surrey Park. Amen. Thanks for coming. Your beard's looking a little short. You're, you're. It kind of wimpy looking. I don't know. I'm a little. I almost did. I almost didn't let you in today. <laughs> Go ahead. Brother Willesianko, I'm a church planter, an evangelist, and church planter, sent out of Victory Baptist Church. Excited to be here and to be in your home. And he's and he's looking for a wife. Thank you. <laughs> Brother Buchert. Amen. Amen. Absolutely appreciate you, man. Brother Ben, I've already put him to work. I think i got to pay him eventually when the yeah, week's yeah, over. Yeah. But. I saw he already is manning his post. Yeah, we got we, we got to get your social insurance information probably. Gonna... <laughs> Amen. Brother Ben. Ben and Becky Turner, Anchor Baptist Church in Burnie. Amen. Appreciate Brother Turner's faithfulness. My brother. Larry Harrison, White Horse, Yukon. Amen. Appreciate you, Brother Harrison. Thanks for coming. And, of course, go ahead, preacher. My wife, Linda, first Amen. And, of course, uh, for those that don't know, uh, I'm, I'm a pastor. I'm not emeritus yet. How do you do? We'll talk about that later. <laughs> and, of course, uh, Colton. Uh, Colton Visser, Cornerstone Baptist Church. Amen. And uh, thank you, men, for being here. And I wanted to take time to recognize you and thank you. And uh, we've got a uh, session we're going to have before lunch. Uh, lunchtime, let me just share this now before I forget. Colton will come up into the, the service and tell you. Uh, but we're going to be serving uh, kind of sandwiches and salads and such uh, after the service. What's going to happen, just so you know, we're going to be putting some tables in the back, and we'll have that ready for you a few minutes after uh, this session. And uh, then we're going to be getting back at 1.30. Uh, we'll start the last session for the morning, and uh, then we'll have a break at 3, from 3 to 7, and then our evening service starting back at 7 o'clock tonight. Uh, so... Uh, we're excited about that. Let's have a word of prayer as we begin. Lord, thank you for these men. Lord, I love them. I'm encouraged by them. Lord, I desire to see you use them mightily. Lord, I thank you for what you've already done this week. I pray that you would continue to work in our hearts. Uh, Lord, would you move? Would you help us? Uh, Lord, to focus on the importance of being overseers or the oversight uh, Lord, that we need to take as preachers. Lord, I pray you'd bless. Uh, Lord, be with us this morning during this session. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's take our hymn books again. We'll sing 448. <coughs> oh, to be like thee. 448.
Thank you, Brother Colton. Wonderful singing this morning. And, uh, looking forward to the preaching, again, of the Word of God. And uh, we've been spoiled already this morning. Amen. And uh, the Lord's getting ready to do some more of that for us. And I'm excited and uh, wonderful to do so. I'm going to ask my daughter to come, my middle daughter. I do have three of them. Uh, but uh, Lizzie's going to come to the piano in just a moment. She and I are going to sing right before Pastor Wilkerson begins to uh, speak this morning. Uh, but for those of you that weren't here last night, uh, some of you I'm by now probably have got to meet Pastor Wilkerson. Uh, I hope you'll take the time to, to get to know him. Uh, he and his dear wife are sweet, wonderful Christians and uh, doing a phenomenal job. Uh, most of you probably know, but uh, just a little over 10 years ago, uh, Pastor Wilkerson was called to pastor First Baptist Church of Hammond. And uh, as Preacher talked about, he wasn't called to go into an easy position. And uh, he's done a phenomenal job. Uh, I, when I found out, his brother-in-law and I are very close. and uh, That's his wife's brother. And uh, when he told me that the church was considering uh, calling uh, Pastor Wilkerson to be their pastor, uh, I instantly, my heart was excited and I was glad to know and I was so glad when I heard the news. And it's been exciting to see what God is doing with them. Uh, but I'm more excited of what God is going to do with him while they're here. And uh, I'm so glad to have Pastor Wilkerson. I'm honored that he would come. And uh, I hope that uh, you'll listen this morning as he endeavors to help us. Preacher, if you want to come ahead uh, this morning, and uh, I'll grab my guitar. And after we're done...
later God wouldn't let me put it down and uh, he wrote the he wrote the words and I think God wrote the music but it's a wonderful wonderful song wonderful truth and uh, just a reminder this morning it's not about this life and how wonderful it is that we can live for him amen. with with eternity in view amen preacher come ahead thank you very much Pastor, I appreciate that beautiful song love to see a family sing together don't you amen. Great blessing. If you have your Bibles let's go to first Peter chapter number five again and uh, my goodness, Brother Harness, that was a tremendous truth, very rich in Scripture and, and uh, very helpful to us. What's your takeaway from what you just heard? Somebody tell me something. If, if that's what God gave us when we got to our car and the Holy Spirit met us at the car or the Lord Jesus said, what do we talk about in there? What would you say was your takeaway from what you heard just a few moments ago? Someone raise your hand and tell me, would you? Yes, sir. Jason? Overseer, not overdoer. Yeah, overseer, not overdoer. We like that, don't we? Start delegating everything you want to do. You don't want to do delegate to somebody else, right? No, there's a lot of insight there, a lot of helpful uh, thoughts in regards to that. Yes, sir, Brother Isaac? I have a lot of good value folks who I, I feel like God's got, given them a calling, but it's not the pastor. And it is to preach, and it is to be an evangelist. And just, so I, I'm praying that God would use the wisdom from that message to help me to as a pastor and, and as an overseer, you're trying to facilitate what God is doing in the lives of people with whom he's given us stewardship and responsibility and helping them reach their potential for the Lord. Because it's not a one-man show. It's, we're not mavericks here. We've got uh, responsibility to identify their spiritual gifts and to help them do what they'll be glad they did when they stood before uh, the Lord one day, because we watch, we watch for their souls. We watch for how they feel and how they think and what they what their desires are. And uh, that's a great point, Pastor. Thank you. Somebody else real quickly. What comes to your heart and mind is your takeaway from what we just heard. Anybody else? All right. That was very, very helpful to me. I could, I've got a whole uh, two pages of notes, and it helped me a lot. And I've got writer's cramp right now in my hand and hurting, but uh, it was very helpful, Brother Harness. Thank you, not only for that message, but for your life that's uh, louder than your message and I thank God for you and your precious wife and really rejoice to be with you I kind of after hearing Brother Harness and thinking about uh, this meeting I feel like uh, I don't know if you heard about the two drunks they 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 they, they uh, passed out and they woke up and they were beside a pool of water and uh, they saw the reflection of the moon on the water you know and one of the guys said uh, the other guy said how do we get up here? <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's kind of how I feel like, yeah, you know. How did I get up here? I don't know, but I'm glad to be here with you, and I'm very honored to uh, serve the Lord together with you. My wife and I have already been so blessed and humbled by the testimony of God's men and ladies here in this region, and we thank you for coming. Uh, let's look at our passage of Scripture. I think it would be beneficial each time we meet to look over this pastor has given a lot of wisdom and, and insight to the meeting, unusual to some extent, but he has been asking the Lord to help every session to be on a, a particular aspect 
of overseeing. And so I think it's good for us to look at it and see what the Bible tells us again. And of course, this is Peter. He's an older man now. It's been a few years since Jesus looked him in the eyes and said, feed my sheep. <laughs> he remembers that three times. And uh, he, you know, he was thinking about fishing and God was thinking about shepherding. And he said, you know, lovest thou me more than these? You know, are you, you want to stay in fishing? You want to go fishing? Take other people with you down that, down that uh, vocational role? Or would you, would you be willing to join me in feeding sheep? And now he says uh, that I'm an elder and I witnessed the sufferings of Christ. And, and I, was, I was under his flock. He was my chief shepherd uh, while I was walking around for three and a half years. And I learned a few things there. And uh, he challenged me on that uh, on that Galilean shore that day, and I'm going to tell you what, I, what I'm learning from him. Aren't you true that we're all in school, aren't we? No one has arrived. We all got things we need to learn from the chief shepherd. So Peter, an older man now, and uh, writes to these uh, dear brothers. The whole theme of First Peter would be probably, uh, there's multiple themes, but I would think its, uh, its main theme is suffering and submission. I think if you had to put First Peter in two words, suffering, going through difficult times, and putting your big boy britches on and understanding this is just, it goes with the territory, and that you're not going to have a walk in the park, and a work of God is not going to be built on spare time and pocket change, but uh, it's going to be a challenging situation wherever you are. And every once in a while we'll say, well, my area is hard. Well, every area can be hard. It has its own dynamics. It's not a, like, oh, this is an easy place to pastor. It's no problem whatsoever. If you do a work for God, you're going to have challenges and difficulties, and wherever it is you may be. But then another one is learning to submit. Submit to God. Submit to your spiritual leadership. Submit to the Spirit of God. And uh, not allow pride and rebellion to keep us from doing that. Another, of course, theme is, is shepherding. And we find that in First Peter chapter 5. Let's look at it if we can, please. Beginning in verse number 1. An elder which are among you, to the, el um, the elders which are among you, I exhort whom also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. And also a partakers of the glory that shall be revealed. Verse 2. Read it with me, would you please? Feed the flock of God which he is taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. And then we're going to look at verse 3 together. This is the topic of our, of our discussion at this hour. Let's read it together, can we? Neither is being over God's heritage, but... And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive the crown of glory that fadeth not away. Our Father, I pray you please help us as we discuss these matters today. It's an honor to be with these men of God. And I love pastors. I, I just, uh, I've loved them before I was ever asked to be a pastor by you. But I thank you, Lord, for the elders, the bishops, the overseers. Uh, Lord, thank you for the pastors that are in this room and the hundreds and thousands of people that they represent both now and that they will represent before your throne one day because of their influence. I pray that you would please help us and give us the mind of Christ. Lord, I, I know you do not need me to be here in Edmonton, Canada today. That's not really an issue. But I stand again in great need of thee. I want to be used of you. And these are my brothers and sisters, and uh, we're all trying to please you. Just like your son said, I do all those things which please the Father. We want to please you today. Would you help us? We ask this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is worthy 
of all praise and adoration. I pray you would help us in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to just kind of just segue, if I can, and tell you a little bit about what the Lord has done in my heart and life. And many of you, of course, have prayed for us, even though maybe you don't even know what we look like. You've been praying for the church at First Baptist Church of Hammond, and I'm forever thankful for that. And I'm very thankful and honored to be the pastor there for these last 10 years. But uh, my journey started, of course, uh, with coming to know Christ as my Savior as a six-year-old boy on a Sunday night after church. Uh, and, uh, and coming to know Christ after being convicted of my sin and, and uh, waking my parents up at about 11.30, 12 o'clock at night, and they got up and turned the light on, opened the Bible, and showed their oldest son how to be saved. It was a great day for me and the best day of my life when I exchanged my sin for God's son. Uh, then about uh, probably about, uh, I don't know, seven, eight, ten years later, uh, I was at the First Baptist Church of Hammond for a youth conference, 1980. Uh, I was sitting in there and had been there from Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. The theme of that year was, So You Want to Be a Star, based upon Daniel chapter 12 and verse number 3, where the Bible says, And then they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteous stars forever. And on uh, Thursday afternoon, uh, the preacher preached. I don't remember the theme of the message. All I do remember at the end, God was squeezing my... Uh, my heart out of my eyeballs. I, I turned to a crying little girl, <laughs> and I, I started weeping. And, and I realized I didn't. I saw the people come down forward and and fall at their face on the altar and and surrender themselves to the Lord. It was a it was a challenge to surrender yourself to the Lord. And I didn't make my way to that that pulpit. I just sat in my seat and began to weep. An older man named Mr. Ingleby who drove the van for us to get there slipped up beside me and he said, John, what's the matter with you? <laughs> and I said, I think the Lord wants me to serve him somehow. I don't, I don't know what I can do. Uh, we, we had uh, kind of been a, uh, a traveling family. My dad pastored a church for three years and did a great job, but just got overwhelmed with the heaviness of responsibilities, and he was faithful to God. He was faithful to my mom. He was faithful soul winner, but he just struggled with some of the pressures that pastors go through, and he stepped away from that, and because of that, he kind of had happy feet, and we just moved every, every so often and moved to 17 different houses, eight different states, and, and at that time, I was in Wisconsin, up uh, Duluth, Minnesota, Superior, Wisconsin, the frozen tundra there, and uh, we came down, and and uh, but I, I just felt I felt we were poor. Uh, my teeth were so crooked. I, crooked. I used to sing all I want for Christmas is one straight tooth, you know. And uh, <laughs> it was awful. And I looked in the mirror. My dad would say to me, "Son, I wish I could get braces for you." Just like your dad saying, "You're an ugly boy," <laughs> you know. And, and uh, I was skinny, and I had to hop around the shower to get wet. My pajamas only had one stripe. It was awful. You know? <laughs> I thought to myself, "Man, this is." Uh, I, don't, I can see why you'd use some of those guys on that platform. I don't know what I could do for you at 13 years old. And, and yet, Mr. Ingleby kind of helped me. He said, God, John, just tell God you'll do whatever he wants you to do. Mm. And boy, that was a good day of my life. I am so glad for that admonition to kind of be garbage at God's, at God's disposal, you know. <laughs> whatever he wanted to do, he could do it. And God always leaves his best to those who leave the choices up to him. And I've not always done that, but boy, when I've done it, it's been a good thing for John Wilkerson for sure. And so nonetheless, I, that, uh, that led me to five years later being a, 
a senior in high school and then enrolling at Hiles Anderson College in 1985. I just finished high school, and that time we had moved to several different places from Wisconsin to several places in Missouri to Hendersonville, Tennessee. I graduated and went off to college, and so thankful for that, that decision that God let me to come to the place that I now have the chance to do some uh, influential decisions on on a daily basis. But I went there as 18 years old, and the next year I had a chance to meet Linda. She was from Massachusetts, and I was from Tennessee, and the Lord, uh, I just chased her around the campus until she caught me, and, <laughs> and uh, it worked out pretty good. She was threatening to turn me in for stalking her, but I'm glad it didn't work out that way. And, but I just, uh, I love her. I'm so grateful that God let me uh, find somebody who would, who would compliment my life and not complicate it in any way, state or fashion. Just, just makes the life a lot better because of her. But of course, I, I remember going to my, my, the college day, that first day that you register. And, and all I knew is I had $675 in my pocket. I'd never had that much cash in my, in my life. And I knew I was supposed to turn it in to the, somebody who's supposed to take it somewhere, and I'd be broke again. <laughs> and so I knew that, and I was just going through the little registration line. It was like over the valley and through the woods, and grandmother wasn't at the end. And, and I was just trying to find where I got my, my post office key, my dorm key, and give me all this material. And I remember standing in line, and the person at the desk was asking the people in front of me, what is your major? What is your major? And I just such a dumb country bumpkin I had no idea what a major was I didn't know what it was I didn't know I heard some people say some things to her and I thought oh man I don't know what I'm going to tell this woman when it's my turn to tell her and so I kind of backed up in the line I said hey sir what, what is your major I asked one of the guys beside me what's my major I'm well I'm, I'm taking pastoral theology and I thought good well, what does that mean <laughs> and he said pastor what does that mean man because I got to preach brother I got to preach all over me I'm, I, I got to preach or I'll die and I remember just stepping back for a second saying I think I'd rather die than preach <laughs> I, I, I love preaching but I don't want to do any of it I just thought my goodness I love my pastor I mean I love hearing him preach but I don't know how he gets that much material out of the Bible but I like listen to it and another guy, I, I looked at him, I said, what, what's your major? He goes, well, my major is secondary ed. Brother Hiles says, if you don't know what you're doing, be a teacher. Uh, because that way you can segue into other ministries if God wants you. People respect teachers, and you get a lot of, you get a lot of experience. And, and I thought to myself in my little 18-year-old hillbilly mind that I just finished 12 years of school. I'm committing to four more. And I don't really want to go back to school after I finish this. That was my thought. I don't, I don't want to go back to school every day, going to school every day. And I thought, well, that doesn't sound very, very uh, romantic. I don't, want to do, <laughs> I don't want to do that. But anyway, I asked the guy. I stepped back. Oh, you guys go ahead. You know, that's fine. They went ahead and told their woman what they were going to do. And I talked to one guy beside me, and I, I saw him. He had a bullet. He had a, actually a catalog from the college. And he said, I said, oh, yeah, what, what is your major? He goes, oh, I'm a, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I just... I just came to this college because I need to help my pastor. I'm going to finish and I'll go back and help my pastor. I said, that's what I want to do, help your pastor. Yeah, well, there's a pastoral assistance program here. You can help your pastor with this, this pastoral assistance program. And then plus, if you take this, you don't have to take Greek or Hebrew. I said, oh, that's what I'm doing, man. I'm telling you what. I can't even speak English, you know. So, so I thought to myself, I'll t I might take that. So I remember going up to the desk, and they said, what's your major? I said, I'm going to take that pastoral assistant program there, you know, and thought I was all that in a bag of chips, you know. And, and uh, she said, well, good. What, what concentration do you want? I said, concentration? 
She goes, yeah, if you take that, you got to take music, education, or youth. you got to pick and choose which one you're going to take. If you're going to take pastoral, you got to figure out if you're going to be in music, education, or youth. And I just kind of put two and two together. I said, well, I'll, I'll take the education. And I said, someone said that was a smart idea there. And, but I, didn't, I thought I take, might teach a Bible class in a Christian school or something. <laughs> but um, that decision threw me in a Christian school for 11 years after I finished, <laughs> finished uh uh, graduating, the first thing that got out, you know, hey, we need you to be a Christian school teacher. And I said, oh, brother. <laughs> Fifth and sixth graders, all their bus kids from, from Chicago, and we we're going to start an elementary school at City Baptist there out of First Baptist Hammond. And, and uh, we're only going to give you 46 kids your first year. And so I could not believe it. I had fifth and sixth graders looking at me every day, uh, 46 of them from Chicago. And I started teaching school. And then God let me go to Long Beach, California, where I taught school some more, three years, and also looked over some bus ministry in a great church in the inner city of, of Long Beach, California. Did that for three years, and then a school in Louisiana needed a school administrator, and uh, the guy just kept calling me over and over, and I kept saying, man, I, I, you know, I, I'm fine. I like, I like where I'm living. I love serving the Lord here at uh, First Baptist of Long Beach, and he kept calling kept calling me and said, man, I just got you on my mind this morning. So, well, get me off your mind, brother, because I am happy here. And so it was a kind of a long way, but uh, the Lord used several things for him to, for me to say, okay, this is not just that guy calling me. This pastor needs help. This is the Lord uh, leading me away from a place I don't want to leave to go to do something that's going to be hard. And they, he told me it was a disastrous year before you came. And we have 46 kids in the school, and last year we had 140, and there's no more. We don't know what's going to do, but we need a principal. And, and so I came, and the Lord gave us a good school year, started us off with like 91. I was uh, 25 years old, pastor, being a school principal, and, and stayed there for seven years. When that grew, the school grew to about 235, 240 kids, and it just kind of grew, and I grew with it. I remember one day... Um, uh, sitting in my office grading my high school English papers. I taught English, 11th and 12th grade English, and 9th, 10th grade English. And I was grading my English papers, and the phone rang. And it was a deacon of the church I used to go to, and we used to go to there in Long Beach. As a matter of fact, he was the bus driver for Linda. She was the bus captain. He was the driver. And he said, uh, Brother John, just how you doing? I said, well, how are you? And I knew him and his wife and his kids. I asked him about them. And I said, well, how's the church going? He said, well, it's been a difficult season. We've been without a pastor for about 13 months. And, and I said, well, we're praying that God will give you a pastor. He said, that's kind of why we're calling you. He goes, oh, okay, well, good. I'm, I can give you a couple names. And I gave him a couple names of people that they could consider. He said, no, no, we don't want your recommendation. We want you to consider being our pastor. And I said, well, absolutely not. And, you know, that's not going to be something I'd be. He goes, oh, John, we're praying and we're fasting. Are you praying and fasting? I said, well, I'm praying. <laughs> no, I'm not fasting. Uh, he said, we're, we're really, we're burdened about this. And we think God might want you to be our pastor. Would you please pray about it? I said, well, how long do I have? Like 30 seconds or something like that? Uh, he says, no. He said, we'll call you back. That was a Tuesday afternoon. He said, I'll call you on Monday. And I remember all that God did. And uh, they called me back on that following Monday. And I, and I said, well, I guess if you want me to try, I can try it. I wasn't ordained to the ministry. I preached seven times in my entire life in a church service of any sort and did a few Christian school chapels and, and that kind of thing, but not in a church setting. And I just, I just felt so overwhelmed. And 
when I got there, I found out there was a lot of challenges in that church. And I knew the church. We loved the church. We loved the people. But it had dwindled down drastically and had about a, maybe 100 people in a 1,500-seat auditorium that were there sitting look like BBs in a matchbox, you know, and just uh, looking at the challenges there. We had about uh, 500 uh, uh, Spanish-speaking people that were on the other end of the building, which was a great thing. They were all crammed into a small, smaller auditorium and had about 40 Koreans and about 10 Cambodian family uh, people that were in the Cambodian service. And, but it was just challenging. There was no place to go but up. And people that stayed there stayed there because they chose to stay there. Most everybody else had gone other places. And... Um, Come to find out there was uh, about $900,000 worth of bills on, uh, the, on my desk when I arrived at just not, not uh, loans, just releases and back payments and air-conditioned companies and heating companies and elevator companies and cars and copiers. And it was just overwhelming. And uh, then I found out that we had 58 missionaries and we were $26,000 behind supporting them. I came in June and they had not supported missionaries since March. And so March, April, May, June. And I was trying to think about what do I do here? And now I'm brand new at this pastoring thing. But just uh, one of the things that helped me a lot is just to learn that, that uh, the church is the Lord's. And I think if there's one word we can all learn is it's stewardship, you know, it's stewardship. And God really took a mess and made a miracle. And I grew, and Linda and I grew together. And we, at that time, we had four children, and God would give us five more children uh, while we were there. And, and we just learned some things as we went along and still have a huge, huge, uh, on a huge learning curve trying to figure out how God wants to develop uh, his, uh, his church to do things he wants us to do and very inadequate i think all pastors we struggle with inadequacies you know you feel like man if they could just get a good pastor here this church could take off you know and you're like yeah who's the pastor i am <laughs> you know it's just like ah, oh, you feel so inadequate uh you feel like boy just i don't know what i'm doing and i have i feel that all the time uh you feel satanic attack you know the devil's strategy is to attack the shepherd, then scatter the sheep, you know, just keep on banging away. I didn't know the distance it, there is from the front pew to the back of the pulpit. I didn't know the difference from around the desk of the pastor, you know, where the buck doesn't stop. It stops with the Lord, but, boy, I didn't realize that I would get so much satanic opposition in trying to do, you know, it seemed like the... It's easy to get 80,000 people to pay an ungodly amount of money to go watch a two-hour game uh, and watch our team lose. And trying to get 60 people in an auditorium is an act of Congress. You know, you're thinking, what in the world? Why is this so hard? This should not be this difficult. But we're, we're fighting against, not with flesh and blood, but with principalities Amen. and powers. And then I did not know there would be so many bullies and critics, you know, that people just... I think they just stay up at night thinking of ways to complicate my life, you know, and, and uh, to call me at inopportune times and, and just, it's just to aggravate sometimes where they have opinions that are very vocal and challenging that continue to come. And I didn't know the loneliness I would feel. Uh, even, uh, you know, I'd be in a crowd and still feel lonely yeah. and uh, feel challenged sometimes with, I don't know what I'm doing and, and 
I need the Lord's help. I didn't know that there would be so much pressure, you know, financially. There would be pressure, every, not only my own finances, but the finances of the church. And money will always be in the middle of every situation. There's always, there's always a finance. I've, I've already thought about money today, and you have too, before you even came here. Everybody thinks about money every day. God put that inside of us. I didn't know I'd feel that pressure so badly. And yet the Lord, the Lord's the, is he's, the, he's the chief shepherd. And learning to take the oversight thereof as pastor has challenged us and built this entire meeting around trying to learn to, to be a good extension of the chief shepherd was a real challenge to me and it's still a challenge to me today. And then, of course, I had the joy, Linda and I had the joy to stay there with those precious people for 13 years. And one Monday morning, December of 2012, my iPhone lit up and it said, I'm the chairman of the Board of Deacons at First Baptist Church of Hammond requesting an opportunity to speak to you by phone. Would you be available today? I thought I was going to die because not, I didn't, I cared about First Baptist Church of Hammond. I spent five years of my life there going to school, one year teaching school there, but and was brokenhearted when I found out that, that uh, their pastor had to be removed. And, and I thought, we, we cried like little girls just hearing that back in July of 2012 because we loved the church and we wanted them to succeed. And, and to hear that it happened to them like it happened to them, my heart was just broken. But not one second did I ever consider moving from First Baptist Church of Long Beach. We had kind of grown up there, that little... That group of people turned into being over 2,200 people every Sunday would go through the different people would go through the doors and people that we had the chance to seek saved. And 780 of them or 60 of them had been discipled through our discipleship and been saved and discipled and, and baptized and grown the Lord, did so many marriages and funerals, and they became dear friends to us. We loved them and... and um, just thought, well, look, I mean, sure, why would the Lord let us leave this place to go anyplace else in the world? And I remember going out to my car and listening to, for the phone to ring. I had been writing letters to visitors that morning, gave the visitor letters to the lady that was going to take care of, send them off to them, and went and sat in my car and waited for the phone to ring. And it was a good man who was a deacon in the First Baptist Church and gave the, the grave responsibility of forming a pulpit committee and had been three, four months praying and fasting and, and interviewing and trying to figure out what God wants. And he just basically said, you know what? We started this journey. There are 41 people on our list of potential pastors. And uh, as of last night, our last deacons meeting, there's only one man on that list. And we feel like God wants us to ask you to consider candidating at our church and being our next pastor. And of course, my heart was just... I remember telling him what I told him. I said, I don't want to tell you yes because I have no interest to be anyone else's pastor. I did not know I would ever be a pastor, uh, but uh, I, I am living a dream. I, I'm just grateful that God lets me serve Christ in this ministry with these people. It was an international ministry, much like any ministry you would find here in Canada. You're a very international country. But we had services in, in seven different languages on a Sunday morning. We had an English and Spanish and Korean and Tagalog. And then we would have it in Arabic and Hindi and sign language and uh, Khmer or the Cambodian language. And uh, it was just a, it was a big, happy family. And trying to move from that, I just thought, that's, 
this is not what I really want. I remember telling him, I don't want to tell you yes, but I'm not sure I'm supposed to tell you no. <laughs> I feel like if God's brought this to my attention, then maybe we need to do it. And of course, going to First Baptist Church of Hammond at the time that the Lord called us to go there, many of you prayed for us, and I want to, I'm eternally grateful for that. And I hope you'll not stop praying for us. It's still, there's a, there's a big room in that church. It sits 7,000 people. But that's not the biggest room in that church. The biggest room in that church is a room for improvement. <laughs> There's a lot of things that need to be much better than they are. But uh, we're still asking the Lord to help us. But um, the Lord took us there. And, of course, anytime there's moral challenges, there's financial challenge and money challenges. And found out there was $18.5 million worth of debt in the ministry. And I didn't know that before I came. And I found that out. And lots of problems, 13 major operating budgets and bleeding and challenging in every way. And of course, the college had a man sit down with me and tell me in February of 2013, if you can open the college again in September, you will need to find $600,000. And uh, two other bean counters said the same thing. Said, yeah, that's what we see too. And I was thinking, oh, Lord, why would you want to get rid of a college if, if it could train other people for the ministry? But each of those times that you get bad information, you have to remind yourself, this is not your billywag. This is not your, this is not your church. This is not your ministry. This belongs to the Lord. And um, remember just seeing God take that. Now that debt's down to $8,700,000 8, and change. And, and uh, that does, that's still a lot, but I'm just grateful to see God take uh, a mess and choose to help it be a miracle. And and uh, now we've seen the Lord save people and start churches in that area and, and uh, kind of divide to conquer. And he's, we're still a work in progress, but I thank you for uh, praying for us and um, humbled and honored to be with you here in Canada. I'm thankful for your ministry, and we, we have great admiration for each of you. And uh, we want to be a help and a blessing if we can. Today we're talking a little bit about being an example to the flock. And uh, years ago, when I was asked to be a pastor, I remember where I was. It was May the 7th, 2000. I was sitting at the little breakfast table at our house, and Linda was across the counter from me, and I hung up the phone, and I said, Linda, uh, looks like we're going to be a pastor. <laughs> and uh, I, I thought to myself, what do pastors do? And uh, what are we supposed to do? And, and I, I, I remember thinking about the three pastoral books of the Bible. 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. And so I just started reading those books every week. I would read 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. They're not very long books, six chapters, four chapters, three chapters. And I would just read them every week uh, in my early pastorate. And uh, I still try to read them with regularity. I actually read them all three this morning. But thinking about our responsibilities, it was Paul writing to Timothy and to Titus, two men who I think were very different in their temperaments. Timothy, they both had Greek fathers. Timothy grew up with a mom who, uh, his mother Eunice and his grandmother Lois, who tried to teach him about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, while his dad taught him probably about Socrates, Aristotle, and, and myths, of the Greek myths, things of that nature. His dad was a Greek. His mom was saved. His grandmother was saved. Or they got saved on Paul's first missionary journey to Lystra. I think he struggled, as Pastor pointed out this morning, probably with some insecurities and challenges. That's where he tells him, look, I'm 
God didn't give you a spirit of fear and of power, love, and a sound mind. He goes, I know your tears. I know you cry a lot by yourself. I know you're sick. Stop drinking uh, the water in that place. You know, take some, take some things for medicinal purposes. Take care of yourself. Probably a guy who wasn't, didn't want to be in Ephesus. He said, I besought thee to bide still. I, said, I think besought is another word to beg. <laughs> he said, you know, stay there. He probably said, I didn't get into this thing to be by myself. I want to go where you go. He said, no, I need you to stay there. You can charge some that they teach no other doctrine. But um, while Timothy was uh, at Ephesus, Paul was probably in, in house arrest in Rome uh, after the big shipwreck and uh, Julius worked out where he didn't have to go into the Mamertine prison, but he could have his own house if he could rent it. Luke was with him. Aristarchus was one of his fellow prisoners. And I'm sure they worked out some kind of a deal, maybe across the street from the Mamertine prison, but there would be a Roman soldier that would sit with him uh, his, in, in, in his incarceration. For those two years, God gave him some rest. And, of course, on that broken-down ship, there was the book of Philippians and Colossians and Philemon and other books of the Bible, 1 Timothy. But he wrote to Timothy, and he said, uh, Timothy, I don't know when I'm going to get to you, but if I, when I get to you, uh, I'll figure out some things. But if I tarry long, or it takes me a while, I want you to know how to behave yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. He goes, I'm going to write this letter to you, so you'll know how to behave yourself as a servant of Christ and as a young man in my house, in the church. And in that concept, and that's why God wrote, and of course he told him, remember the church in chapter, first chapter of, uh, third chapter of First Timothy, in the last verse, he says, remember the church is all about Jesus. It's the hymn that was seen of angels and testified in the world. And remember, that's, he's your focus. But he says, here's some things I want you to know. And I looked at that. I remember years ago studying that and thinking about what is the theme of each of those chapters. And I don't know if I'm accurate about that. Some of you who know the Bible better than I would be able to maybe give some other insight. But as I looked at those six chapters of 1 Timothy, I see that each chapter has a major theme. And it's a responsibility you and I have every day as leaders for God in the house of God. I'll give them to you quickly, but chapter one is keeping your doctrine sound. He said you got to keep because doctrine determines destiny. What you believe determines where you're where's up. Chapter one is keeping your doctrine pure because you are the one who's going to feed the flock of God. Number chapter two is making prayer a priority, making prayer a priority in your own life and the life of the church. He said, I "Would that first of all? What does first of all mean?" We want to just say, first of all, <laughs> it means a priority. It needs to be one of the main things, that prayer and intercession and supplication and giving thanks to be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority. You might, uh, you might live a quiet and peaceable life with all God. It's making prayer a priority. Chapter 3 is spiritual reproduction. It's, it's winning people to Christ, discipling the people you win, and training the people you disciple. Because from that group of disciple converts will be pastors and people who are going to help their pastors. Brother Isaac mentioned just a few moments ago, not everybody in your church is going to be a potential pastor. But if there are going to be future pastors, they're going to, they're going to come in your church. 
But they have to be one first. They have to be discipled. And then God gives them those preordained callings that Pastor Harness shared with us a few moments ago about. He said, you're going to have to learn to be a spiritual reproducer. I really, I'm not going to be unkind, but I tell you, I don't think we need to get 70 years old and ask someone to send us a Timothy over to take over the church. There ought to be Timothys in that church already that know the DNA, the culture, the opportunities, and that's why we're always in this. He said, Timothy, you've got to spiritually reproduce. It may not be God wants the person from your church to be the pastor there, but Timothys ought to be all around us. Titus is, and they are, if we're faithful soul winners and disciplers. God will serve us. Now, they don't always, they're not always flashy, but they'll be faithful. Amen. I don't think any of us will look at Jesus and the 12 disciples and say, well, that, that's a sharp staff right there. You'd probably say, really? <laughs> Those country bumpkins are going to change the world. you got one guy who always says, I can't believe this. This is stupid, man. I can't believe it. Let's just go get killed. You want to? You know, that's that guy. You got one guy that still had a problem with cursing after three and a half years, you know. You got Peter and John saying, I'm, I'm first line, I'm second. You know, hey, no, I don't know. It's not about that. You don't get it. They had all kinds of issues. Simon the Zealot, you know. Nathaniel, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just those kind of guys. All those guys, they weren't flashy. You know, the only, the only one or two that was from Judea, most of them were country bumpkins from Galilee. A couple of them from Judea, that was Judas. <laughs> That's why they gave him the money. He was the white-collar guy in the group, you know. And that didn't go very good, <laughs> you know. And, and yet, sometimes the people who would look like the most, uh, the most successful were the ones who really were the turncoats. We often look for flash when really God's looking for faith. Amen. Chapter 5, he talks, and I'll, I'll skip chapter 4 in just a second, but chapter 5 is relationships and responsibilities. It's how you treat people. I think it's a failure of many men in ministry They're, that we're, 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 not, we're not gracious with people. We don't really genuinely love them. We got, we got stinking thinking and some bad motives. He said, look, if you treat the older men, you treat them like your dad. Treat the, old, the, younger, the younger men like your brother. Your older women like your mom. The younger women like your sister with all purity. By the way, if you're not good in the home front, you'll have a hard time in the ministry front. If you're not a good son, you'll probably have a hard time with the older men in your church. If you're not a good brother, you're going to probably have a hard time with just the, the common man in your church, the younger group. He said, you got to figure that out. Treat the widows, the young widows, the elders. you got to continue to monitor relationship because some men, you'll be able to see their sin just five minutes after you talk to them. Other men will take the exits of high rate of holiness in time later. Their sin will follow after. Then in chapter 6, it's all about financial management. From the beginning to the end of chapter 6, is about money. It's about working diligently and associating carefully and living contentedly. As Pastor said, when God gives us more, let's don't just raise our standard of living. Let's raise our standard of giving and learn to be able to be a funnel, not a bucket in a channel, not a can. Learning to get, get it out. And he said, you're going to have to learn to work diligently and associate carefully. and You're going to have to learn to live contently and then give aggressively. He said, charge them that are, that are rich in this world to be ready to distribute, to give, and to learn to, to realize that we have a moment of time 
a little window of time, a parenthesis called life, to make an indent on eternity. But in chapter 4, he tells Timothy, let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example. And of course, Paul wrote that in 1 Peter chapter 5. Peter wrote that, but they both were listening to the same singer, Jesus. <laughs> let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant was made in the likeness of men. Jesus is the example. He's the example, and, and servant leadership is the example. He said, look, you got to be a good example. Chapter 4 is, is how to be a godly example. Let's look at it quickly. We have about uh, 13 minutes here, so we just look at Go to 1 Timothy chapter 4, would you please? 1 Timothy chapter number 4. Many of you are already great testimonies of this and probably just singing to the choir, but let's just look, if we can, please, at this passage of Scripture. Follow along with me, if you would, please, as we look at areas in which we need to be a good example. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Now, the Spirit speaketh how? What do you think that means? Someone tell me what that, what that means. Was speaking expressly? Clearly. Yeah, it's making it obvious. So this is not something we have to wonder about. The Spirit makes it obvious that's what's going to happen. That in latter times, that's where we live, some, not all, not most, but some shall depart from what? Faith, okay? And, you know, I think probably the biggest gut punch of Christianity and ministry is to see people go sideways. Do you, do you find that? I mean, a lot of discouraging things in life. But boy, whenever you see someone take exits off the high road of holiness, it's one of the most painful things. To go through. But he says, you know, I want you to understand the Spirit is not mincing his words when he says, it's going to happen. <laughs> not everybody. And aren't you glad for every person that falls, you can probably count in your mind 10 people that have stayed, been faithful. You see a pastor fall sometimes, it, it, it hurts you. But you start looking at the pastors that are faithful to the Lord, faithful to their spouse, faithful to the things of God. He said, some will depart from the faith. Now, he gives a, four, a threefold, a fourfold process there. And, and I, I'll, this is not the lesson today, but I think when people fall from the faith, and number one, we need to be an example of people who stay true to the faith. We don't depart from the faith. We are faithful, all of us, all the way. Would you mind saying that with me? All of us, all the way. That's all, all, all in being all of us. All of us, all the way. Let's just keep going all the way. He said, but some will depart from the faith, and they'll do it through four ways. So it's a digression. Number one, they start listening to seductive spirits, satanic seductive spirits that, I think, tell us you can have Christianity on your terms. There's a natural thing inside of us to blend in instead of standing out. We don't want to be taking on the reproaches. We want to just kind of blend in. He said, they'll give heed. And by the way, be careful what you listen to. Be careful what blogs, what podcasts, what preaching they listen to. Because some of it is laced with, 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 with poison. Because the next thing is doctrines of devils. You know, devil does he has more sense to come up here and bring a Satan worshiper up here to preach on Sunday. That's not happening. But he can lace the truth with error. So doctrines of devil. He's an angel of light. The next thing, uh, he says here, that you not only have, you'll have lies and hypocrisy. You know, have you ever seen someone go away from biblical, holy living 
And they just said, you know what? I've just never been so close to God, I tell you. I'm closer now than I've ever been. Now they've got a cocktail in their hand. You know, they're, they're dressed like a hoodlum. They look just like the world, but all of a sudden now they're just fuzzy-wuzzy with God. It's a lie. That's not true. They, you know, they, they act like they're in the world, but now they're all of a sudden they're, they're godly Christians, but they're not. Their life is a lie. It's a lie and hypocrisy. And then a conscience is seared with a hot iron. That means they, nothing penetrates them. If you got a pair of pants as polyester and you were ironing it and you left it on, your, on that pair of pants and went, did something and came back and saw it and you left it there too long, uh, you're going to have some issues with that polyester pair of pants or skirt or whatever. You know what's going to happen? It's just going to be hard and nothing will penetrate it. It's been seared. If I put water on my pants right now, it would go right through it, right to my skin. But if I seared this pair of pants with a hot iron, I pour water on it, it doesn't come through. It goes away. And I think sometimes when people get away from God, that's exactly what happens. They no longer feel conviction. Amen. They'll say, well, I'm not convicted about that. Oh, I can watch R-rated movies. I, I'm, I'm, I'm to a place spiritually where I can just handle it. No, you can't. Or they'll go to a church and they just the, the invitation be given. It's almost a joke. They used to go forward. They used to respond to God. Now it's like, yeah, yeah, I remember that. Then. You know, now they just like one celebration service a week, if they can get to that one. No problem missing Wednesday night, going to a ball game. No problem, uh, just going to one service. Just it's all of a sudden now. It's, they have no conviction about anything that God is convicting us about and what the Word of God says. But, you know, I think we're going to be example. We must not depart from the faith. I think if you look at the rest of the chapter, let's continue, if we can, please. In verse number 3, the Bible says, Forbidding to marry, giving, com commanding to abstain from meats, and making some unnecessary rules that are not biblical in nature. God created them to receive with thanksgiving. Them, he's talking about people who had hang-ups on meat. He'll spend Romans 14 talking about that and other places in Corinthians. Then verse number five, for it is sanctified by two concepts. What are those two concepts? Word of God and? You know, we need to be an example of people who pray and who treasure and live by the scriptures. You know, it was what apostle, uh, the apostles needed help with whenever they had a plethora of new people got saved, but they were kicked out of their homes, especially widows. When they got saved and believed in Jesus, then they went home to their kids <laughs> And their kids say, Mom, don't tell me. Don't tell me you, you fell into this people of the way. Why is your hair wet? You did not get baptized, Mom. And could you imagine saying, oh, honey, it was the greatest thing. I felt conviction of the Spirit. I'm saved. I'm forgiven. I've taken Jesus the Messiah. I say, Mama, <laughs> I'm sorry to hear that. Because you're not going to live and infiltrate this house and our, your grandkids and my kids with that kind of a mess. You just need to pack your bags and get out. Those people are all that great. They can take care of you. You're done here. As far as we're concerned, we'll have a funeral for you. And boy, all the, the, the church got loaded with people and ladies who got divorced and childless, uh, you know, the kids that got put out of their house because they got saved and baptized and disowned and all they're trying to take care of everybody. And it became overwhelming for the pastors. And finally they said, Look, we gotta, we got to figure out something here. We can't spend our time taking care of all these precious widows at the expense of not doing two things that we have to do. 
There's just two things you have to do, and that is you've got to minister the word and you've got to pray. And if you're a pastor, we, may, we must make that priority. If you serve with a pastor, help your pastor so that he doesn't have to do menial things that, that you can do. There's, only, there's not very many people that can give themselves continually to the word of God in prayer, but that's your pastor's job. And he said, now, you've got to be an example of someone who knows and loves and meditates and lives by the scriptures. Then you've got to be someone who is given to prayer because everything will get smoothed out if someone knows the Bible and they walk with God in prayer. Be an example of that. Let's continue if we can, please. Verse 6, if thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things. He said, look, Timothy, if you just keep reminding people of basic truths, then thou shalt be a what? A good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. And we ought to be a, a good example. By the way, never be afraid to repeat the obvious. It's the obvious which many people have forgotten. Most messages are not a new truth that no one's ever heard. <laughs> it, is, it is old truth restated and repeated. Those of you who are teachers know that repetition is the key to what? Learning. Sometimes I get sick of saying the same thing over and over again. But, I, I, but you know, the things I repeat are the things that people remember. <laughs> and sometimes he said, look, don't be afraid to repeat things. Go back over the doctrines of the Bible. Remind them of soul wind. Remind them of reading their Bible. Remind them of a prayer life. Remind them of home responsibilities and service opportunities. Say, well, you know, they already know that. I need to give them something new. Well, there'll be plenty of new things in the Bible as you begin understanding the Scriptures. At the same time, don't be afraid to repeat the obvious. Amen. Go ahead. Say it again. Say it again. You know, think about the Apostle Paul. God put his testimony in the Bible three times, maybe even four almost. I wonder why he would repeat something. The most important, one of the most important marriage principles in the Bible is the marriage uh, principle of priority. And four times in the Bible, God repeated, for the cause of marriage shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and they shall be one flesh. He put it in, in Genesis and Matthew and Mark and Ephesians almost verbatim. <coughs> why would he do that? Because he wanted us to get it. Repeating things, reminding our people uh, he said, look, Timothy, if you will live it out and repeat it, you'll be a good minister of Jesus Christ. Keep putting the words of God out. Keep talking to people. Keep sharing with them what the Bible says. If your wife is going through a difficult time, sir, you've got to keep talking to her. You've got to keep living out your faith without hypocrisy. Talk her through things. You know, the reason I, Linda married me is I talked her into it. <laughs> I just kept talking to her. Kept telling her I love her and she's so beautiful and we're going to have a good life together. And she believed it. And then after I got married, I got locked y'all a few times, you know, and I didn't talk. And she would say, John, we've got real poor communication. You did a really good job to get me, but now keep doing that. <laughs> keep talking. And you know, the truth of the matter is we've got to keep talking to people. Because faith cometh by and hearing by. Yeah, the Word of God has to continue to keep. We have to be an example of someone who reminds people. Then, of course, these are some known things. But if you look at verse number, um, verse number 9 and verse number 10, who could read that for us? Who's got that ready to read that for us real quickly? Anybody? For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, 
Very good. I've got to really be an example of someone who's willing to go through difficult seasons. Nothing quite platforms you like a trial, a difficult time. And may I just say to you, this is noteworthy, and just think about it. Our sermons whisper, but our life shouts. Our sermons whisper. Look, if you think for a moment your people remember what you preached Sunday morning, you got it, you're whistling in the wind. You can't even remember what you preached Sunday morning. You know what they can remember, though? They remember you in a trial. They remember watching you when someone opposes you. They watch you when someone's complicating your life. They watch you when you lose something, when you go through a difficult time. Because sometimes our, our, our life is so loud, people cannot hear the sermon we're preaching. Amen. And when it's, not, when it's not what it ought to be, then there's a problem there. And our life is very loud. And people are watching your tracks. When you give out gospel tracks, some people will say, thank you, but I'll be watching your tracks. They'll be watching what you do and how you conduct, especially in communities where you may be a foreigner or someone who is trying to do something for God that's totally opposed to societal norms and totally opposed to satanic opposition that's coming against you. They're, your life has got to be loud. You've got to be an example of the believers. Um, and certainly here he said, you, you need to trust the living God. Our faith is the most important thing about us. The rest of the chapter will begin to tell Timothy, Timothy, look, you, you're young, but you can overcome your immaturity if you will be an example. Mark Twain, an author that wrote a lot of books, he probably went to the lake of fire and probably has that in his future. I don't think he got saved. But he said something kind of that, that resonates with me. He said, nothing aggravates me more than a good example. <laughs> when you want to make excuse why you can't do something, you find someone else who's doing it and they have a good example, you're like, oh, boy, okay. Well, we ought to be good examples because our sermons whisper, but our life is, is loud and it shouts. Continue on to the chapter and we'll conclude. Let no man, verse 12, despise thy youth, but be thou an example, first of all, of the believers in what we say in our word. Number two, how we conduct ourselves. Number three, in how we love. When love is thick, faults are thin. You know, whenever you find yourself critical, it's because you lack love. And if, we're, if, we, if, we, if we're love is, when love is thick, other people's faults are thin. I don't, I don't, it's like I can get over that. Because what does love do? It covers the multitude of sins but when love is thin other people's faults are thick you got a guy that's always criticizing everybody he needs to go to costco to get some love okay don't go to 7-eleven they don't have enough of it go go get it in bulk because when you find yourself critical of other people you need to go bulk up on love because that will take their 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 problems and you'll see you'll you'll see their sin and you'll love the sinner You'll look beyond their fault and see their need. He said, be, be a good example in how you love. Look at the next thing he challenges them. Be a good example in, in spirit, your attitude. In faith, how you practice. Faith is really trusting God enough to obey Him. In your purity. And how you, how you conduct yourself morally. And in your motives. Having pure morals, pure motives. Verse 13, till I come, give attendance to reading. Be an example of someone who reads. Exhortation, encouraging other people. 
You know, some folks were glad when they walk in the room. Some folks were glad when they walk out, you know. <laughs> and it really, you know, what the difference is, is their exhortation ability. If they, if, they, if they help us, we welcome them. If they drain us, we're happy to see them exit the room. And he said, be an example of how you encourage. You know, and even as a young person, Timothy was young. He could encourage people. Doctrine. He says, neglect not the gift that is in thee, which is given thee by prophecy. He said, he said, use what God gave you. Remember your ordination. Meditate on your responsibilities. Be an example of someone who thinks about his purpose. What is my role in this situation? What, I don't want to be off my rug. Be an example of someone who says, okay, here's my role right now. Sometimes it's not your job to fix the pastor across town. It's not your job to waste time writing a letter to send out to the brethren. Don't, don't, don't do that. You're off your rug. Meditate on the responsibility God's given you. And then give yourself wholly to it. I think so many of us, if we're not careful, we don't give ourselves wholly to what God's called us to do. And then whenever we, that's why the Bible says study, to show yourself approved to God. A workman needed not to be ashamed. If you don't study, you will be ashamed. If we don't work, we will be embarrassed. It's just a matter of time. If we don't give ourselves wholly to what God's called us to do. And then, of course, the last thing, he says, be an example of taking care of yourself. Verse 16, take heed to thyself and to the doctrine, to the biblical responsibilities of communicating God's word. Continue in these things, taking care of yourself and the truth. In doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the chance to just evaluate our responsibility as a shepherd to be an example and to uh, help others in this, in, this, um, in this life. And I pray, God, you'd help us, Lord, to wherever it is we are, to be careful with this, with our words, our conduct, our faithfulness, our self, our willingness to obey the Bible, our purity, our attitude. God, I pray we would have a heart of faith. We would trust the Lord through trials and difficulties. We would be people who are people of the book and prayer. God, we would stay in the faith, not depart. We need you, Lord. Thank you for the joy to be in association with these great folks. Bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor.